For now, though, what a fascinating topic. Our next guest has probably spent more time with the little voice inside his head than anyone else. Psychology professor Russell Hilbert has been studying people's inner monologues for more than four decades. And through talking to hundreds of people, he's actually become fairly certain that most of us don't think in words at all, even though you assume that you do. Russell joins us now from Las Vegas. Hi, Russell. Good afternoon. Oh, and a great connection. I feel like you're right next to me, Russell. We, cool. we, um, this just came out of a conversation I had with a friend over dinner, and we were kind of on two opposite sides of the spectrum. He feels like he's got a voice inside his head all day. I'd never really heard of this or thought of it before because I don't feel like I've got a voice. And um, I, I guess a lot of your work is distinguishing between those two sorts of people. I mean, I was fascinated why why one person might be one way and another might be different. So I don't know the answer to that. I'm pretty sure nobody else knows the answer to that mm. either. So sorry about that. No, that's but, okay. Uh, do you notice any sort of – are there any other personality um, – aspects of a personality that might make you more likely to be an internal narrative person or not? Well, I think you have to discriminate between those people who really are inner narrative people, of which there are quite a few, and those who think they are, but they're, but they're not. And yeah. We haven't done enough work to really be able to distinguish that. But So my, my work is actually not directly aimed at at inner speaking, that's part of my part of my job, but I'm interested in inner experience in general. But what I found sort of the, the big picture is that most people don't know the details of their own inner experience, which is sort of surprising given that you live in it 20 hours a day or 16 hours a day or however. Yeah. And so if you, Russell, were to ask someone uh, what's going on in their head, they'd take a, a sort of a bit of a guess. Um, but your sort of your granular research suggests that they quite often get it wrong. That's exactly right. And most people, if you ask them what's going on with you, what are you thinking about right now, they'll, they will tell you that they're thinking about it and they're talking to themselves because that's the most common preconception that people have. But if you're careful about it, which I am, that's basically what my science is about, is to try to be as careful as, as I can be about this stuff. When a, a lot of people who... Uh, who think that they talk to themselves don't really talk to themselves. They do a lot of other kinds of stuff, but not talk to themselves. So how do you ever do this research? How do you work out what people are doing in their heads? Well, I give you a beeper, uh, and you go out into your everyday life doing whatever it is that you're doing, interviewing people, talking to interesting people about farming or wherever, whatever, <laughs> going to the grocery store, driving, driving, doing whatever it is that you do. And at random times, this thing beeps. And your task is to pay attention to what was going on at the moment of the beep. And so then you get a half a dozen beeps over the course of three or four hours, and then we get together and talk about those half a dozen beeps. And at the first beep, you might say, well, at the moment of the beep, I was saying to myself, well, that was a really interesting interview about the, uh, about the farming. And I would say, well, if you're talking to yourself, what exactly were the words? And you would say, well, she she seemed like a really busy person. And I said, well, that, that's two different things. One is it was an interesting interview, and the other is she's very busy. Which one was it? And you would say, well, I'm not really too sure. And I would say, well, if, you, if you're talking to yourself, I would like to know what, what you said. So let's do this again. Let's you have, the, have you wear the beeper tomorrow or next week or something. 
and then we'll we'll try it again. And the second time you would come back and say, well, I was saying to myself, oh, the gas prices have finally gone down. <laughs> and I would say, what what exactly what, what what exact words were those? And you would say, well, you know, it's been up at four dollars and fifty cents U.S. I don't know what it would be like there, but now it's down to three fifty, and that's good. And I would say, well, that's quite a bit different from what you said in the first place. What exactly <laughs> were you saying at the moment of the beep? And you would say, well, I don't remember. And I would say, well, I'm interested in words. And if you are, if, if you're talking to yourself, I would like to know what you're saying. But so let's do this again. And on the third day, you would come back and you'd say, you know, I've been saying I've been talking to myself, but now I'm looking at myself carefully and I'm not talking to myself. I'm just thinking that stuff and I'm not talking to myself at all. Gosh. And so that's the, that's, it's a simple method, total, totally simple method, but it requires some skill to, to let you put, to put you in a situation where you would trust me enough to, that I know it, that I'm interested in what it is that's really going on with you. And so what have you learned over the years about a, in a life from doing this sort of careful research? Well, first off, people don't know what their own inner experience is. And so that's sort of the overall overarching kind of thing. Then after that, I would say there are what I would, what I have called five frequent phenomena that occur with sort of 20% or 30%, something like that frequency across people. And those five things are inner speaking. So people do talk to themselves, roughly a quarter of the beeps that I see, a quarter of the samples that I see involve some kind of people talking to themselves. So that's one. Number two is visual imagery. So some people do have, do see things in their imagination that, that aren't there. The third is uh, what I call unsymbolized thinking. And by unsymbolized thinking, I mean, I'm thinking a very specific thought, but that thought does not have words and it does not have visual imagery in it at all. And yet I know exactly what I'm thinking about. So I might be thinking something like, well, the price of gasoline has really gone down. I'm happy about that. And it's that specific, but there's no word gasoline, no picture gasoline, mm. no, no nothing. And yet I understand that at the moment of this beep, that's exactly what I'm, what I'm thinking about. So that's the third thing on symbolized thinking. The fourth is sensory awareness, what we call sensory awareness, which is you're paying attention to some sensation in the environment or your inner environment not for its instrumental value, what it is that you're going to do about it, but because it, it, it attracts you. So you're going out the door, you get attracted by the gold of the door handle. And it's the gold of the door handle, not the fact that the door handle is going to open the door for you. Well, you're going to, you're going to do that. But what, what attracts your inner experience, what grabs you at the moment is the, is the glint of the gold. That's what we call sensory awareness. And then the fifth thing is feelings. People do have feelings, and uh, so that's uh, and, and and by feelings we mean the experience of emotion. Yeah. So th those five things occur sort of a quarter or a third of the time across a lot of different kinds of people. You mean at, at about a quarter or a third of the time we're experiencing one of those things. That's not exactly right, that because there are there, every one of those things has people who do it that kind of thing 
100% of the time and other people who do it 0% of the really? time. Really? So, so there are some people who are totally inner speakers and they inner speak every every beep. Mm-hmm. And there are some who never inter- never engage in that. And there are some people who have feelings, experience the, the experience of emotion at every single sample and others who never do. And the same for the other the other of the five. And I, I don't want to give the impression that, the, that there's these exact five things and you got to fit into one of those categories or another because actually inner experience is pretty complicated. But, but if, you, if you have a 30,000-foot view of it, then I would say those five are as good as any. Yeah, that's a, that's a way of categorizing off the sort of thinking we're doing. Um, right. Yeah. And is there a lot of diversity between people into how they sort of weight those different things? Most everybody has, uh, I would say, a favored type of inner experience. Yeah. Most, not I, I wouldn't I wouldn't say most people are up at a hundred percent, but but people who engage in inner speech do it a lot. People who engage in inner in sensory awareness have a lot of different kinds of sensory awareness. So if you're the kind of person who notices the gold of the doorknob, you're also probably the kind of person who notices the sound of the cicadas or who notices the twinge in my left knee or or other kinds of sensory things. Mm-hmm. If, if you're predisposed to the sensations, it's it's usually in all the different sensory modalities. Must be, and um, you've done a great job of, of working out a way of looking at this stuff, but it must be tremendously hard to study people's inner lives. Well, yes and no. I, the method that I've developed, I think, is indeed simple. I give you a beeper, I ask you what's going on in the, at, at the moment of the beeper, and then we talk about it. What, what could be simpler than that? But the problem is that almost everybody, probably you, but I don't know you at all, so I don't, I'm not making any personal conjecture about you. But, yeah. Yeah, but mo- most people have presuppositions about the way they think their inner life is, and so they tell me about what they think they're going to find rather than what they actually find. So the skill of my, my skill, I would say, is telling you, you know, what you're telling me sounds more like a presupposition than an actual description of your experience. And, and I think you'll find inner experiences actually more interesting than your presuppositions about it if we can get you to, to a position of being able to look at it. A lot of people so, have – yeah, sorry, go ahead. Finish that thought. Well, I was going to say that the method is is easy and difficult both at the same time. But what I would also say that it's pretty interesting because I get a chance to get a glimpse of what Jesse or Samuel or whoever is inner experience is actually like, and that's going to be different from mine, and it's going to give me a glimpse of the world from a perspective that I don't generally have. It's pretty hard to find things that are better than that. So. Yeah. Are you excited about or interested in the potential of technology to help you uncover some of what's going on in other people's minds? Well, I've been actually thinking a lot about that. I haven't written about it, but I'm thinking about writing mm. about it because the, I, I would say the psychological business of which I'm a part has moved in the direction of technology ever more aggressively over the course of the 50 years that I've been a psychologist. And, uh, and I'm not sure that's a good idea. But the method that I am, the, that I, we've been talking about here is sort of the opposite of that. It's low tech. It's, uh, it's personal. It's, it's about 
Jesse. If you ask AI some question about like, well, what are, what are people, what's people in her experience really like, they might be able to give you sort of the same general answer that I gave you five minutes ago. But what they can't do, I don't think, is to uh, tell you what, what Jesse's experience actually is. Mm-hmm. Um, I have lots of people sending messages, and I'm just going to throw some of these questions at you. Um, Terry says your interview about the inner life is very interesting. One thing I've become aware of is a voice in my head counting repetitive actions. It may have started when I've been knitting, but I notice it when I'm walking, for example, steps in the park or pounding my sauerkraut or beating time or dancing. Counting wasn't one of the modes of thinking that Russell mentioned. Um, I often go back and check that count in my mind is correct, and it usually is. Uh, where does this fit in, Russell, if at all? Well, I, I have sampled with some people who do indeed count, so I, I think there are people like that. I've also sampled with some people who think they count a lot and don't. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I'm not taking a position one way or the other. But I, but, but I generally would say, if I'm not particularly interested in counting, which I'm not usually particularly interested in counting, but I, but I would call that, well, generally part of inner speaking. People are saying to themselves, one, two, mm-hmm. three. But there are other ways to do it, too. I, I think it's quite possible that some people could visualize their counting and see a number, see the numbers like on a digital counter or something like that. I'm talking to Russell Hilbert, who's being very generous with his time from Las Vegas. Um, a lot of people have learned about the value of mindfulness in the last few years, Russell, and, and some aspects of what you're describing, getting people to really watch what their brain is doing regularly during the day, seems to coincide with some of that mindfulness training. Is that fair? I think that is fair. And in in some ways, I think the, the training that I provide is, I would say, perhaps more powerful than some mindfulness training. So if you, if you go back to the historically, the Buddhists would have a gong in the monastery somewhere, and you're, when the gong gongs, you're supposed to pay attention to what is, what's going on with you. That's mm. the purpose of the gong. But my beep is in some ways better than the gong, because when you think about gongs, they don't have a sudden rise time. They're sort of kind of a sound. And the gong is over there somewhere, and you might be out in the field somewhere, so you hear echoes of whatever. So it's it's not too clear where where the beginning of the gong is. And by contrast, the my beep, I give you an earphone, you're sticking the earphone in, in, in your ear, and you're going wherever it is you're going to go. And when it beeps, it uh, it there, there's no question about it. This is this is the moment that we're interested in. <laughs> and and I would say. That the, everything that I said about people not knowing the characteristics of their inner experience applies also to people who are doing mindfulness training. So the you know mindful a mindfulness exercise might be well here's a tomato I want you to feel the tomato and smell the tomato and taste the tomato and and, and whatever and and you might be going through those actions but that does just because I've instructed you to feel the tomato that doesn't really mean that you are in fact feeling the tomato you might be thinking about the soccer match or the election or the whatever. Good to chat to you, Russell. I really appreciate your time.